Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, well, well. It's so wonderful. We have a lot of visitors today. I've got. Um, I I met Joe and Lonnie. Hi. Joe is Rena's brother. John. That's bad. John, forgive me. And then, who do you have next to you there? Our son, Rico. Rico? No, Nico. Man, I'm bad. I'm bad. Nico? And what? This is Ashley, our daughter. Ashley? And that's Elias. Elias. Glad to have you. All from up north, right? Yeah. From a V-Town. That's right. Where are we from? That's how we do. Yeah. And uh, who else? I have uh, this this row right here. These gentlemen beat me up on a daily basis right here. I have, uh, of course, our professor, my jiu-jitsu professor, Tim. And then, uh, Jordan, I'm going to embarrass you. Can you stand? He might hit the ceiling, right? But Jordan, Jordan Huey. Uh, we affectionately call him Huey. Uh, he is one of our protectors. He's a Marine, too. So. Uh, and then we have Erickson Rivera, good friend. Glad to have him. And do we... Oh, my cousin. Jasmine and Joel surprised us. I thought they were... They came here for Legoland. So, Joel... <laughs> and, and their daughters, Sophia and Audrey. So, we're so glad you're here. Um, why don't we go to the Word of God? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're wading through this uh, glorious book. Wading through this book. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2. And let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we are here together. We thank you that just the truths that are sung in those songs that we were once your enemy, that we're seated at your table. And, and that old tune, my tribute, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. Just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. God, we just thank you that we are here. We pray that your word would pierce our hearts, that Christ's presence would be evident, that the word of God would edify, convict, Say, we pray that you would do this work. Thank you for your word, for it pierces, it convicts, it teaches, it edifies. Oh Lord, open our ears. Let not any distraction be around us. May your word speak to us. Speak to us, oh Lord. Send your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I grew up in Vallejo. When I was eight years old, my dad left, and we were all alone. My mom had to fend for us. It was my mom and me and my brother, Micah. And I, I just remember, I grew up uh, at that time. My father and I have since been reconciled. He, he knows the Lord, and he loves the Lord, and I got my dad back. But I got to tell you, in those years, it was very hard. Um, as I was... Growing up, uh, I didn't have any model in my life. I just kind of followed along, and I was kind of uh, angry, bitter, had that in my life, and I just kind of followed the crowd. And I remember they just, I just 
didn't lead my life the way I think God would have had me. I just followed sin. And I chased after sin. And I remember uh, every night, it would be like this. Every Friday night, I'd follow after sin, and sometimes the cops would take me home, and I'd come and have to explain to my mom, and I'd be ashamed of what I've done. And I just remember... Uh, someone started to invite me to church. And as I was coming to the church, I started to hear the glories of Christ and His wonder and His power to save. And as that happened, I started to realize that I was living one way and I, wasn't, uh, and I was hearing another way. I was hearing that there's actually more to life. And I kept pursuing sin. And I remember one night I, was, I came home and I was just so empty. Do you know sin leaves you empty? It does. It promises, but it never delivers. And I remember I came home, and I felt this emptiness really, really deep in my life. Like I had no purpose. Like if I were to die, there would be, uh, there would be no, uh, no real ripple effect in history. There would be no real significance in my life. I felt the emptiness of life. I started to feel, is this all that there is in life? There's got to be something more. Thoughts of suicide enter your head. Yeah, as a teenager, absolutely. Now, I believe God puts that, that sense of emptiness, that sense, that lack of purpose, the purpose, the lack, uh, that uh, drifting until you find Him. There is a God-shaped vacuum in your life that God, God puts in your heart that can only be filled with God. Now, I'm not a fan of Facebook self-help, okay? Not a fan of it. But every once in a while, there is some truth. And even a stopped clock is true twice a day, right? And I remember this, this one thing, and it just stuck with me. It says, you were born to do more than just work, pay bills, and die. You get it? You were born to do more than just work, pay bills, and die. You know, God, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, God has a specific plan for you. And this plan shoots over any other endeavor, over any other mission. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We're only going to go to one verse today, and we're going to look at what this means. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. I believe that God gave this passage to you this morning, this morning, so that you would intentionally and purposefully live to bring glory to Him. I'll say that again. I believe God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would purposefully and intentionally Live to bring glory to Him. When I say glory, this is a theme that is throughout the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of times the Bible would say, He did this so that the name of the Lord would be known. He did this so that the nations would know who He is. Uh, he did this so that, uh, so that in Egypt they know who God is. For the sake of His name, you see phrases like that all over the Old Testament. God doesn't do anything simply just to do it. He does all things for His glory and for the benefit of His people. He says here in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 39, you don't have to turn there. 
just going to read one of hundreds of verses of the very heartbeat of God that he would glorify himself. It says in Ezekiel 39, 7, And my holy name I shall make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I shall not let my holy name be profaned anymore, and the nations, catch this, the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Over and over and over you see this theme of God glorifying himself. Now some might say, well, that seems like a cosmic ogre in the sky. He just wants all the praise to himself. And that would be true if he was not worth it. If he in fact was not God. That's why when we look at a person who is full of himself, who is arrogant and boastful and thinks all, and is self-centered about themselves, we think that that is wrong. Why? Because we know in reality that he is not all that he crack, is cracked up to be. But that is not true with God. When he is righteous, he is altogether righteous. When he says he is holy, he is altogether holy. When he says he does this for the love of his people, he is altogether loving. God is love. And so he is worthy of praise, worthy of honor. In the New Testament, even in Ephesians chapter 3, he says... In verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he's talking about the church, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole body being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Jump to verse 20 of uh, chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Now here it is, verse 21. Here's the theme, and I just caught it in the same chapter. The theme of the Bible is the glorification of God in Christ Jesus by the salvation of man, right? He says here what? To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And that's the theme. That's how Christ, that's how God the Father, that's how the Holy Spirit will be glorified. Now... Even Paul says this about himself. Verse 7, he says what? Why were you given this gift? He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the power, working of his power to me, the very least of all saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, catch this, the unfathomable, unfathomable riches of Christ. It is the reason why he was given this gift of preaching and apostleship was to unveil the riches, the glory, the wonder, the splendor of Christ. Now you sit there and you're thinking, now what does this have to do with me? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, brother and sister, you have this great endeavor that will last for eternity, forever and ever, and your life can be lined up with the very fabric, the very purpose by which the universe was made. And you will no longer have any night where you don't have purpose. I think this is one of the blessings of being a Christian. I know why I'm here. I know what I have to do. Now, I don't know how all of this stuff works out. I don't know why there's a mess in my life and all this, and how all the cobwebs of my life need to be straightened out. But I do know this. That the universe is headed to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in Revelation chapter 5. They're all surrounded his throne praising him. 
How do I fit in this in the here and now in Carlsbad, in Vista, in Oceanside, in Camp Pendleton? How do I fit in this? Well, God gives us direction. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to guess. And in fact, there are tangible ways that you can show the glory of Christ. How do you do this? You can't do it on your own power. You're going to fall on your face. But there are three main provisions. There are three main provisions God gives you to make much of him and to bring him glory. There are three main provisions. How will you live a life that intentionally and purposefully gives glory to God? First, you have to know, first point here, and this, this is, I'm just taking it phrase by phrase in this uh, verse. Okay. Uh, first phrase, for we are his workmanship. Number one, God prepares you to glorify him. God prepares you to glorify him. The word there, workmanship, it's amazing. Paul pivots and he says, now we, Paul includes himself here. He says, we are his workmanship. The word there for workmanship comes from the root poema, which means, where we get the word poem. It means, it stresses God's handiwork, his creation, his renewal, the change this transforming activity in one's inner life. Now, how does he do it? This is an amazing, amazing way that God prepares his people. This is, this, is how it, this is how it goes, okay? The glory of God, this is the purpose and the, uh, the reason for the whole universe. This is why Christ came, to glorify God. Not my will, but, but thine. Right? And he came to bring thee glory. That's what Jesus said. So how does he do this? And how does he do this in his people? First, he changes them. He prepares them. He calls them. He makes them a peculiar people so that when people look at their lives, it is a standing flag of his holiness and his righteousness and his truth. When people look at their lives, they look very peculiar to the outside world. I hope you do. I hope you do. I hope people will see your life your family, your marriage, and look at you and say, what? Or, or the individual and say, what is driving this person still, still to praise Christ? Well, he prepares you. How does he do that? Number, How does he do it? How does he do it? What it means and how he does it. First, he made you into a new person. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't do this work. You can't do the things that glorify him until he changes you first. He has to act first. And why? We've already been studying in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. In other words, we had no propensity to please God. We didn't want to please God. Our hearts were in rebellion. If you were to ask me when I was a teenager if I would ever praise Jesus, I, wouldn't, I would say no and I'd laugh. I would laugh. Why? Because I was dead in my sins. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want someone over me telling me what to do. And what did God do? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. This is a little bit of review. What did God do? 
He brought life where there was none. He gave you a heart of flesh where there was a heart of stone. Where you once hated God, now you love him. And he changes that. How? And he says here, look in verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. You can't work yourself into salvation. Notice it says here, you are saved for good works. It says in verse 10, in, created in Christ Jesus for good works, but not by good works. There's a difference, okay? You're saved for good works, but not by good works. How are you saved? You're saved simply by the free grace that is given in the gospel. You believe that Jesus is the Lord. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins. And when you do that, God grants you passage. He looks upon you and he says, you are no longer condemned. Because of the righteousness of Christ. But then he saves you for good works. He doesn't save you so that you can be, for a lack of a better term, a spectator in the bleachers. He doesn't save you simply so you can get fire insurance for the next life. You follow me? He doesn't save you simply so that you could kind of add Christ to your nice middle, middle class house and your middle class pool and your middle class neighborhood, gated surround and your middle class. Now, I'm not trying to bag on you, man. All that stuff is nice. Good. Right? But that's not why he saved you. He saved you for good works. Why? So that you would bring glory to him. It is the greatest endeavor, the greatest mission. And it finds its culmination as you share the gospel and someone gets saved. And then what happens? How does that work? When you share the gospel and the glory of God is revealed and someone's eyes is open to the glory of Christ and what he saw as ugly is now as beautiful, then he receives more glory. Why? Because now there's another worshiper. Oh, you get to be part of that? Yeah, you get to. You get to. Well, how does he do it? First, he made us into a new person. Second, he included you into a new people. He included you into a new people. You can just look in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is in the law of commandments, containing ordinances. And then he says here, so that in himself he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. What is he saying? We're going to explain this in weeks following. But in a nutshell, he's bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together into one people of God. And what he says is, in a very peculiar way, how does he allow you to do these good works? Well, he brings me a new family. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you just look in the chairs to the left and to the right of you. We've got a new family. Amen? He's placed us in a new family. And what happens, and this is why membership is important, what happens is the local church becomes an expression of what God is doing 
this is where we do the one another's. So that when folks come in, they say, what in the world is this? You guys actually care for each other. You guys actually love each other. You guys actually confess and repent of your sins. You guys actually ask for forgiveness when you stomp on someone's idiosyncrasies. He includes you into a new people. Third, he gifts you with new abilities. This is fantastic. I think this is absolutely fantastic. Look at Romans chapter 12. There are several passages about spiritual gifts. I think Romans chapter 12 is a, a compelling one. What happens is when you become a Christian, there is this new spiritual gift that you attain. God gives this to you at the point of salvation. It is not a natural ability. It's an ability that you couldn't do before. Every Christian has it. Now, is every Christian using it? No. But every Christian has it. Look at Romans chapter 12. And this is why Paul pleads with the church in Rome. He says, therefore, notice, I what? I, chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you. That word is a deep entreaty. He's saying, I beg you. I'm begging you. Brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He says, be a living, this sounds like an oxymoron, but be a living death for Christ in your life. Let your life exude the fact that I no longer live for myself, but I live for Jesus. The way I, I live in my family, the way I live in my church, the way I live on the streets, the way I go to work, the way I uh, report to my boss, I no longer live for myself. I'm not ultimately reporting to you, Colonel, boss. I'm reporting to the King of Kings. Now, he says, so that you not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove. Then notice what he says. Through the grace given to me, verse 3, not to think more highly of himself, and then he skips to verse 4. Okay, now, he's going to talk about the church as a body, and he says here, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And verse 6, here's, the, here's what's glorious. He says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. When you're saved, you have a different gift. Okay? According to the grace given to us, each of us to exercise them, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. And notice he says here, if service in his serving, or he teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, or he who leads with diligence, he shows mercy, with cheerfulness. In other words, God gives you this new propensity, this new skill that must be developed, yes, but now you've been given something, I like to call it a mutant power. I don't know how else to explain it to kids, right? It's a mutant power now, right? Where you can actually be used, and the way it's used in the New Testament, how it's described is, you use it for the edification of the church. Your focus in building the church. And what that does as a witness to the world is, if the church is strong, if the church is unified, and if the church is doing these one another's, 
It shows the world there is something to this Christ. What is causing them to live in communion like that? He provides you with gifts. Fourthly, he provides you with new avenues. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He provides you with new avenues. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me. Chapter 12, I love this passage because it explains the Trinity and how, how he sets you apart for ministry. Now, ministry is not, don't think that the word ministry is simply for pastors or for theologians. The word for ministry really is, the base word comes from the word uh, uh, deacon simply means to serve tables. That's all it means. There is no hierarchy as far as, oh, this person is in the ministry. We're all in the ministry. Do you understand? If you claim the name of Christ, you're in the ministry. Now, if you're obedient or not, that's up to you. Okay? But you're in the ministry. Notice he says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, and he now, Paul, same author... As Ephesians, same author as Romans. Now he says, there are varieties of gifts. We already talked about that. That God gives different gifts to certain people. And the body works that way. We can't have the body all be one eyeball. Look like Monsters, Inc. You know what I mean? We have to work. When a body is healthy, it works in its diversity. But it works towards one goal. That is the glory of Christ. And now what does he say here? There... But the same God who works, now he says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Okay, there's the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of, what does it say? Ministries and the same Lord. So what is he saying? You may have these gifts, but now I'm going to direct you into different avenues and by which you can use it. You may have the gift of teaching, but you can use that gift in the children's ministry. You may have the gift of teaching, or you could use that gift in the adult, or the convalescent, or any kind of other ministry like that. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is involved in how he directs. I think that's fantastic. The third one, he says, look, there are varieties of effects with the same God who works in all persons. Not only is there gifts, not only is there ministries, but now he says, your effectiveness, man, that relieves a lot of pressure. I don't have to be a Billy Graham or something like that because I know that God is the, he is the one who gives us the effects and the fruits of our ministry, of what we do. And I just leave it with him. Amen? So he grants those avenues. You have to be looking. Sometimes people have to challenge you. They have to ask you, how are you going to serve? Where are you going to serve? Where are you serving Christ? This, again, I have to repeat, this does not save you. It does not save you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. That's it. But are you involved in his work? This work that will be going on forever and ever. This work that is the most important work. The greatest endeavor. The highest mission. Because of the person who it serves. He provides you with new avenues. He also trains you. 
for new responsibilities. He trains you for new responsibilities. How does he do that? I'm just going to read some verses. Um, uh, you know, by his word, 2 Timothy 3.16, says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be adequate, what? Equipped for every good work. He trains you through pastors and teachers. If you turn back to Ephesians, since we're going there anyways, why don't you follow? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And then it says here, verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. What? He prepares you. How? You hear the preaching. You hear the teaching. You hear the Bible studies as we get together. And it prepares you. It trains you to do what? The work of the ministry. I could also say one last thing. He motivates you for this new lifestyle. This is a new lifestyle in if you want to just write this down, I'll write it for you. Uh, you can, I'll read it for you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work with you, work in you both to what? Will and to work for his good pleasure. He gives you that strong desire. But I want to show you one verse. I want to show you one verse that marks the Christian. In Titus. Go to Titus. Titus, Titus chapter 2, it's glorious, notice it says here, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, now notice he, he's talking about salvation first, okay, you get saved first, works don't save you, works come after, you're not saved by works, you're saved for works, and then it says here, Instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Again, glory. Now, why did he save you? Notice, look at verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Again, that peculiar people, that different people. Why? Zealous for good deeds. What's going to mark us, Redeemer Bible Church, my prayer is? What is going to mark us as we start to finish our first year next November? Right? What is going to mark us? May we be a people who are hungry and passionate and zealous for good works. God prepares you to glorify Him. Second, God commissions you to glorify Him. God commissions you to glorify Him. Notice He says, um, you're created in Christ Jesus. We understand that same language. 2 Corinthians, therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed. Old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. But go to Ephesians. 
We're going to look back at Ephesians and notice he says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, for, he, for we are his workmanship, in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, good works involves an exertion of effort, a deed, an accomplishment. Uh, a good definition of one author I like, his name is Tim Challies. He defined it like this, and it has to be coupled together. It must in order for it to be a good work. Good works are deeds done for the glory of God and, 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 the benefit of other people. Good works are deeds done for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Now, why do I, why do I stress that now? First, if you only do things for the glory of God, you simply have religion that doesn't live itself out in real life. You're simply just another theologian pontificating about uh, how many angels are on the pin of a needle. You're simply just, you're just taking a backseat and you're just a religionist. You're not living this life out. But on the other hand, if you're simply benefiting people and you don't connect it to the glory of God, you're simply giving humanistic effort. And it doesn't glorify him. Why? Because why? Because we all know that there are many motivations why people do good things. Just look at the stars, right? And I'm not talking about those stars. I'm talking about Hollywood. They all say, oh, I'm doing this benefit, and I'm doing this benefit, and I'm doing this, and I'm, and they're doing good things, correct? But they're not good works, according to the Bible. Why? Because it's not connected to the glory of God. And it doesn't bring him praise, and very often it brings who? The person who did it praise. Notice what I'm doing to help everybody. Here, watch me as I give this $20 to this homeless person. Watch me, praise me. It's not done for the motivation to give Christ glory. It's done for the motivation of you. It's foul in God's sight. Now, let me prove this to you. Okay? There, there's a connection of giving glory to God with good work. And what this does is going to help you. How? When I do something for the glory of Christ, by motivation, and someone asks me why I do it, I better give God the glory. Because that is your, that is your blazing opportunity to give praise to Christ. The reason why I'm helping you is because God has first helped me. The reason why I'm loving you is because God has first loved me. The reason why I want to provide for you is because God has provided for me. 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 6. Watch this. Glory is connected to good works. Christ's glory, the glory of God, is connected to good works. Notice. He says here in 1 Timothy 
I know we're going through a lot of verses, so we're playing Bible ping pong is what we call it. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13, he says, I charge you in the presence of God, who is this God? He gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this? Verse 15. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Notice, he already erupts in praise. Paul says he receives glory, who alone possesses immortality, dwells in inapproachable light, when no man has seen or can see. And then he goes to verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Now verse 18. Here it goes, okay? We already saw that it was connected to the glory of Christ. And because of it, in verse 18, he now says what? Instruct them to do good. To be what? Rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share, storing up to themselves in the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So that, so that they may not take hold of that which is life indeed. And here he, he says, because of the worth of Christ... Because he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is worthy to give him our service. He is worthy for me to be greedy in a sense. Rich in good works. Not greed in material things. Or greed in how much I can attain. Or greed in my accomplishments. But I am thirsty. Thirsty for the glory of God. And for the, and for the growth of his people. Are you like that? At the end of your life, are you going to be rich in good works? Or are you going to have nothing to show for it? You have one life, brother and sister. It's a gift to Christ. Let it be a blazing hot comet through the sky. Amen? Amen? Here's another connection, okay? Matthew chapter 5. My jiu-jitsu professor always quotes this, but he doesn't give the reference. Because he slips it in and we hear it all. And my, my daughter will look at cross and he says, that's my first. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew, notice, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14, he says, you, these are believers, okay? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Watch 16, okay? Watch it. Let your light shine before men. How? How should it shine? In such a way, that means do it in, in such a way that they would observe, right? That they may see your, what? Good works. And then what happens? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. So when they look at your life, and they look at your courteousness, and your love, and your concern, what happens? They see it. They say, why do you do it? And then you connect it. I do it because God is good to me. <coughs> and how could you not 
will fall on deaf ears if you don't see the preciousness of Christ. It'll fall on deaf ears. You won't care. I don't want to give up my life. I don't want to give up my time. I don't want to give up. I'm Lord of my time. I'm Lord of my money. I'm Lord of what? You don't want to do that. Why? You don't want to do it because you don't see the preciousness of Christ. But when you do, this man, this woman, this child gives up things for Christ. And what happens? The world sees. And they, went, they end up praising God. Amen? It's powerful. Extremely powerful. John chapter 15. Now you gotta hear your gotta hear your Lord. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. He says in verse 6: If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, and they gather him, cast him into the fire, and they are burned. Now what he says here, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. And then he says what? And he's talking in the context of ministerial, uh, of ministry. Okay? He says, if you ask, and you're doing this for my glory, and you're doing this with a motivation to please Christ, what does he say? He says, by this, what does he say in verse 8? My Father is glorified that you bear fruit and prove to be my disciples. On the one hand, we should love theology and love Christ and love the scriptures and be well versed in it absolutely. But it cannot be divorced from doing good works. Serving in the local church. Serving in the communities. On the other hand, you can't just serve in the communities and simply just give yourself and give up your resources and give your time without bringing glory because what happens? You rob the glory. God prepares you. God commissions you. Lastly, here's what gives me confidence and boldness. God ensures. God ensures you will glorify Him. I think that's fantastic. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter Two, he says, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, is this determinism? Is this simply, well, if, if this is going to be ordained already by God, why should I do anything? That's not the, the heart and the tone of the scripture. Notice he says, which God prepared beforehand. Then it says, so that we would walk in them. In other words, they're already out there. And we have to exert effort, we have to exert uh, desire, we have to exert discipline even sometimes, so that these, uh, so that these ministry, uh, these uh, good works can be accomplished. When Christ saves, he gives us a new heart that desires to do this. Now we already saw in 1 Corinthians 12 that not only does he ordain gifts, not only does he ordain ministries, but he also ordains the effects. This is how it encourages me, and this is how it should encourage you. When you step out in faith, brother and sister, know that God will bring it to pass. I think that's what's the encouragement here. Because sometimes, you know, if you think, I don't know if God's going to bless this, know this. 
He already has it laid out. You just got to walk through it. Why do you think he wrote this? So that, so that we could read it and say, well, it's going to happen anyways. We might as well just sit down and not do anything. No, it's supposed to encourage you with confidence that it will actually happen. Do you remember when um, Paul was, uh, he was scared in, the, in, in Athens? Acts chapter 18, the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, he says, don't be afraid, don't, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I am with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. And then he says this, for I have many what? People in the city. In other words, he said, you got to understand, there was no gospel in that city. And God is telling Paul, I've got many people in this city. And what that does is this is exactly what Paul is probably reflecting on. He's reflecting on that there are works laid out for me and that they just have to be walked through. You keep praying for doors to be open for the gospel. When they come, are you scared to walk through? why he gives us strength and he gives us motivation and now you have motivation can I let me share with you a little bit one brother asked me um, when you were planting this church did you believe other families would come and I said absolutely he said did you ever doubt I said no I said because I'm not focused on my own eloquence and my own intelligence I know that's not the case, but I do know that God wants to glorify His Son. And if we are in line with that, I know He is inclined to bless. And can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? All, all you visitors who are coming, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you. You're not here by accident. When people ask me, do you think the church will grow? I'm absolutely confident. Not because of me. Not because we have a great band. Right, Andre? <laughs> we have a fantastic band. Yeah. Jeremy on bass. It's not because of that. It's not because of people are nice and that Manny brings donuts. You think we have a formula for this? We don't. Why? If we are inclined and we turn our hearts to the very heartbeat of the universe, the very heartbeat of Scripture, that is to glorify Christ. He is going to bless. Why? Because He's all about that. Are you? Are you just putting Christ as a compartment, some appointment? Or does He dominate your schedule, dominate your life, dominate your mind, dominate your heart? God's preparation, commissioning, and ensuring, I leave you with some final thoughts. If you do not know Jesus in saving faith, come to him. Yield to his love. Ask him to help your unbelief and trust only in his life and death as the sole basis of salvation. And he will use you. You will not run out of things to do for the glory of God. You will not. If you are willing and you are able you just got to be dependent on Christ. He's going to use you. Ask Him. 
If you do know Christ, if you do know him and you're not serving, why? What's stopping you? What's more important than giving the God of this universe glory? Where are you serving in the church? How are you trying to reach folks? Third question. If you do know Christ and are serving, I ask, how can you be better trained? How can you be better equipped? How can you serve even more effectively as you mature? What other training and opportunities do you want to grow in? Now, uh, at RBC, we have many areas to serve. You can help with the setup, come in, set up the chairs, set up the tables, tear down the media. You can set up and tear down. You can help with Happy Harbor if you want to rotate and share the gospel to young kids. You can help with discipleship if you want to be part of that. You can help with our home fellowship group, helping uh, set up and tear down at the costas. You can get trained to teach and preach if that's what you want to do and that's what your gift is. You can help with inviting newcomers if you if you have a heart for hospitality and to welcome. You can start a new ministry. We just want to train you and get you ready for that. We'd love to do that. We just desire that you would be a member of RBC and be committed to going through the or be committed to going through the membership process. There are different ministries which require different giftedness and requirements. But all this to say, if you have been saved by Christ and he has melted your heart and you love him, how could you not serve him? What does it say in Mark 10? For the Son of Man did not come what? to serve. What? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and offer his life a ransom to men. Jesus came with the express purpose of serving you. How could you not lovingly respond? Not because you're enslaved, not because you think it's going to earn you a right standing, but simply because you love Him. Do you love Jesus? Glorify God with good works. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you that you give us opportunities at work, at school. Thank you that you give us opportunities at church. Lord, help us to glorify you. It's what you desire. It's what you're focused on. God, we don't want to live lives. Oh God, help us not to live lives that just simply live for ourselves. Everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. We all are busy. Forgive us if we have no time for you. Help us to get back to that schedule and change it, God. That we would allow time to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a privilege to serve you. God, I pray you would work in our hearts. That you would revitalize us and encourage us. Knowing that God is going to bless. As we seek to glorify him. Thank you. Help us to sing and help us even to sing to glorify you as well. To bring, to make much of Christ. We pray. Thank you for this day. May we fellowship in Jesus' name.